Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we try to make sense of the beguiling new planet we find ourselves on. And ahead of our culture section, which we will do tomorrow, uh, when I look at the third in our series on the director, the great director, Robert Altman, his masterpiece, Nashville, with 20 to 30 full-time characters running around the screen. It ought to be a car crash, and indeed there's a famous car crash in it, but it actually works and is easily, I think, his masterpiece. That and McCabe and Mrs. Miller. But I really look forward to continuing down the road with Robert Altman, who is this brilliant, subversive director, what indie film directors ought to be. It all goes back to Altman. So I look forward to continuing the culture section. But ahead of that, I thought we needed to do something on politics and Hamas and the human weather vane that is Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden was never known as a, con as a conviction politician. This was a man who was a denizen of what Trump would call the swamp. He was a longtime chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, a man who did deals with literally everyone who got into trouble when he was running for president this last time for talking about his old friend, the segregationist Strom Thurmond, and how he'd do a deal with literally anyone to get things done. I mean, Biden is the old backslapper, the old go-along-to-get-along kind of guy. And uh, that, you know, he, he knows how the nuts and bolts and the mechanics of Washington work. He's never been a vision guy. He's not Reagan. He's not FDR. He's not Kennedy. His rhetoric is pedestrian at best. And this is before his cognitive decline. What he is, is a guy who understands how Washington works. But this human weather vane quality really doesn't work when you have a conviction war such as is occurring over Gaza between Hamas, the terrorist group, and the state of Israel. And following the barbaric Hamas terrorist attack of October 7th, when over 1,200 Israelis were mass-raped, tortured, and murdered in front of their families, Israel, unsurprisingly, decided it needed to reply. So this is a state that actually understands its national interests because it has to. It's surrounded by enemies. They're not, you're not paranoid if everyone is indeed out to get you. And in 1948, 1956, 1967, 1973, Israel was attacked and emerged victorious precisely because it understood it was under siege from all sides and how to go about besting far more numerous Arab enemies. And yet again, in the aftermath of the barbarism of October 7th, when Hamas seemed to take a page from ISIS's uh, feudal network of horror and barbarism, uh, Israel has rather methodically and with surprisingly few casualties. And remember, this is, and, and I'd say this to all the kids out there, this is street fighting. This is the bloodiest form of warfare. Everybody knows it. And the idea that Israel isn't going well out of its way to limit casualties it means people have never heard of battles like Berlin and Stalingrad in World War II, or more recently in Mosul. Um, and Israel has done this and succeeded beyond people's expectations in routing Hamas. Hamas is back to its final city in the south, Rafah, where 1.2 million Palestinian refugees are, are hunkered down, along with, with the remnants of uh, Hamas's command structure in country. As I've said before, the Hamas leadership out of country live in luxury in Qatar, which is an abomination to anybody who understands justice. But there they are. But the in-house people, including Yahya Sinwar, the man who really planned these barbaric attacks on women, on children, on civilians, on people going to a rave. Um, we've all seen the pictures and they're not soon forgotten. 
Anyway, Sinwar is holed up there. Up to now, Israel has taken and defeated Hamas in every way, taken every other city, destroyed, you know, mile after mile after mile of tunnel. But Rafah remains to be taken. And of course, those who think somehow that the rapists are the oppressed and that this somehow justifies, uh, you know, occupation justifies what Hamas has done. And let's remember all that money coming from Europe, the do-gooder NGO communities, including the UN, who had members of the UN staff actually actively joining Hamas in the fighting. And then uh, the UN wonders why Israel doesn't take it seriously as a neutral arbiter. Mr. Guterres needs to remember he's a mouse and he's only there to do what the great states tell him to do in the UN. The UN is not an independent entity. It reflects the views of the permanent members of the Security Council, and he has shown himself to be nothing less than a cheerleader for terrorism. Uh, with all this said, Joe Biden, watching what's going on, um, is growing increasingly nervous. And here's a great example. And people are always saying it's hard to prove how foreign policy affects domestic politics. Here's a case where it's not hard to explain that. And so I thought we'd do that today because this is very, very simple. So say you're a political advisor to Joe Biden. Let's be realists and be someone who we aren't. That's the strength of realism. We can put ourselves in other people's shoes, not what we would do, but what they would do. And if you look at things from a political advisor's point of view, advising President Biden at the moment, things are appalling. Uh, Sean Trendy of the great Real Clear Politics in their new podcast this week said that people are in denial about the world of hurt that Biden is in politically. And I think that's exactly on the money. If you look just to the aggregate average, which always lags behind where the direction's going, which is toward Trump. But even with this lag, if you look at the aggregate, and, and that's what Real Clear Politics does, it aggregates 20 or so polls um, in the most up-to-date way. So you can see where we are. Uh, Joe Biden is losing rather badly to Donald Trump. Uh, he Not only is he losing uh, the popular vote, which seems impossible, um, but he when in a five-way race, losing it by three or four points, and in a two-way race, which we won't have, losing it by one or two. Let's remember that on many ballots, there will be Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, there will be Cornell West, and there will be Jill Stein of the Green Party, and possibly no labels. And the more these parties get in, in poll after poll after poll, as we said months ago here on, on the podcast, that this was likely to lead to Biden doing even worse, that the more the merrier from Trump's point of view. And sure enough, that's another political risk prediction that we got right. Trump is ahead by one or two nationally, if you look at it as a two-way race, and three or four nationally, just to the edge of the margin of error, if you look at it as this five-way race, which is, of course, what we're going to have in many states. Bobby Kennedy, just this last couple of days, got on the ballot and I believe two of the swing states, Arizona and Georgia. So that's already happening as we speak right now. And so things are bad nationally, but we don't vote nationally. We vote state by state. And as we've said before, the dirty secret of American politics is that you can take most of the states off the table. New York will vote Democratic. By how much? Who cares if you win all the electoral votes? California will vote Democratic. Texas will vote Republican, Illinois will vote Democratic, Ohio will vote Republican. By the time you pull everything off the map, you're down to only five or six swing states. And we can name with you know quite a good degree of precision what they're going to be. This is Arizona. This is Georgia. This is to some extent North Carolina, though that's sailing away toward Trump. Um, you also look at Michigan, Pennsylvania um, as part of this in Wisconsin. 
Uh, these are the states that are really in play. And then throw in Nevada. So you have six or seven swing states. And the arresting news is that Joe Biden is increasingly losing and beyond the margin of error in most of these states. It's beyond the margin of error in Arizona for Trump, beyond the margin of error in Georgia, uh, within the margin of error, basically a tie in Pennsylvania, beyond the margin of error in North Carolina, uh, beyond the margin of error in Nevada, and so it goes. The Beyond the margin of error, just at the margin of error in Wisconsin, and again, a tie in Pennsylvania. If you throw out North Carolina and have a look at these states and say there are six swing states, Biden, in terms of real clear politics, the aggregate, is losing five of them and is tied in Pennsylvania. This would translate into Donald Trump rather comfortably winning an electoral college majority of over 300 with 270 needed to nominate. So however you slice it and dice it, as of this morning, Donald Trump is winning the election. Cue the hysteria in the mainstream media. Uh, cue the lawfare, and we're going to do a webcast or, or a podcast on this coming up. Cue the attempt to save democracy by denying democracy. Keep him off the ballot. Keep him in jail. Do anything but let the people vote, because if they vote, Democrats are increasingly horror-stricken that they're likely to lose. Of all these swing states, the most important for Biden probably is Pennsylvania and Michigan. I think that they'll probably pull out Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania always breaks the hearts of Republicans. They come within a point or two and always lose. Um, let's put it this way. If on election night, Trump wins Pennsylvania definitively, it's over. But this is also true for Michigan. If Michigan goes the way of Trump and against Biden, it's almost impossible to see how Joe Biden reclaims the presidency. These are the two he absolutely has to win. There are all kinds of other routes to 270, but almost none unless you have this going on. Almost none unless you have Michigan and Pennsylvania. And Michigan is a gigantic problem for Joe Biden. According to Real Clear Politics, he's down by between five and six points outside the margin of error. Worse, and we just saw the primary in Michigan where Trump stomped on Nikki Haley, it's barely worth even mentioning, uh, by 40-some points, um, Joe Biden had a problem. There's a large Arab-American community in Michigan, quite radicalized. They have another number of imams there who were talking about the joy they felt after the savagery of October 7th. You can go online and look this up. This is not me saying it. These are facts. These are what people there said. It is a group that is desperately calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. Ceasefire translated to these people means Hamas is saved. That's what ceasefire means. That's the code. God forbid the Israelis go into Rafah and finish the job and get rid of the senior leadership on site of Hamas, take the totality of Gaza, uh, conquer the totality of that, dismantle the terrorist networks. And of course, these things will grow back, but dismantle them for now, get rid of the leadership for now in-house, destroy the tunnels that have been built with European, UN, and NGO money rather than helping the people of Gaza. God forbid this happen. We need a ceasefire to stop it. And these folks turned out to vote uncommitted to warn Joe Biden that if he continued to be seen as pro-Israeli, if he didn't make the Israelis agree to some sort of ceasefire in the near term, that they would vote against him. They simply would vote uncommitted or during the general election. They're not going to vote for Trump. They simply won't vote at all. And this would be more than enough to sink Joe Biden in a state he absolutely has to win. 
So this tiny pressure group centered around Dearborn, Michigan, radicalized Arab Americans who are pro-Hamas. It's not that they're pro-Palestinian. They're pro-Hamas. They, they have Joe Biden by the nose. The human weather vane sees which way the wind is blowing. And to quote the great Bob Dylan, you don't have to be a weatherman to see which way the wind is blowing. And that's what we have going on as Biden, the human weather vane, after supporting Israel and giving a nice speech after October 7th, equivocates and constantly is pressuring Israel to do less, says things like, we support you, but dot, 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 you're over the top, as though the carnage, rape, murder, brutality of October 7th didn't need to be avenged. You're going too far in defending your people and attacking the people who came over the border and destroyed your citizens. That would seem to be the duty of any state to protect their citizenry from barbaric invasion. But Israel, in doing this, is somehow going over the top. This is code to this Arab-American community that whisper, whisper, I'm really on your side. Biden constantly demanding a ceasefire is part of this process as well. Ceasefire means Hamas is somehow saved. And so this is going on and is critically what is happening at the moment. So Biden is trying, being a human weatherman, to be all things to all people. He's trying to be pro-Israeli enough by supporting them in capital letters. And then all the fine print is, but we'll have a ceasefire, meaning we'll save Hamas as soon as we possibly can. And so the problem with an all things to all people approach is you end up being nothing to anyone. The problem with caring about everything is you end up caring about nothing, which has just come in somehow to uh, interrupt us because she feels she's not involved, that this happens. Um, you can see my chief researcher is angrily demanding that I uh, do what she says, the joys of live radio. Anyway, moving on from which, in her complaints, that I'm not being hard enough on Dearborn, Michigan. So Joe Biden has a problem. These folks came out and 13%, 13.3% voted in the Michigan Democratic primary uncommitted. This would translate, and it's not direct, into about 3% of the vote when it comes to Michigan. Meaning, if Michigan is within 3%, these guys, by staying home, can tell the tale and doom Joe Biden to lose Michigan and doom Joe Biden to losing the presidency. It's that dire, and it explains why the weather vane is now hysterically rowing back and begging Israel to stop its attacks, to accept a ceasefire, to, that its invasion has gone over the top, and to corral in one of America's most loyal and leading allies in the world. And they're doing this in order transparently. This is the link between domestic politics and foreign policy that people always say is impossible to discern. It's incredibly clear here. This is Occam's razor, the great logical idea that the simplest and most elegant answer is often the correct one. In order to somehow get this community to come out of Arab Americans who support Hamas, and some of the imams are downright gleeful after Hamas's October 7th attack, to get them out to vote for the Democrats, he's having to row back on American policy over the war, because if he loses them, he loses Michigan, and if he loses Michigan, he loses the election. And that's what he's being told internally. Also, the kids in the party in general, who don't know when they talk about singing about the river and the sea, appallingly, given the state of education in the United States and colleges, as we saw at Harvard, recently. Uh, they may not know what the river is, and they may not know what the sea is, and they may not know a shred of Middle Eastern history, but they fervently believe, despite having no facts at their disposal, that somehow 
Um, Israel has to give up all its land to the Palestinians and their oppressors. The Palestinians are the oppressed. In every poll that's out there, this progressive woke wing of the party, 2020 to 25%, are really down on Joe Biden because of what's going on in Hamas. And if these folks just don't turn out to vote, if they're hungover from their job as a barista with Starbucks and just don't turn out to vote, he's doomed also nationally. And all of this is being told to the human weather vane, hence the change in American policy. But there's one problem, again, with being all things to everyone, you end up being nothing to anyone. And you see this. There are interesting numbers out that although this is true, for the base of the Democratic Party, it's not true at all for the country. Um, a January 2024 Harvard-Harris poll, huge poll, with 2,300 registered U.S. voters. Normally, a poll's around 1,000. If it's less than 1,000, I don't bother our community with it. It's too small a sample. This is where method matters. This has 2,300 registered U.S. voters, and they are incredibly, to a man, pro-Israel. First, 83% of the Harvard-Harris polls say October 7th was a terror attack. 74% say Hamas's attack was genocidal in nature. 75% say that assaulting Israel is not justified by anything happening to the Palestinian people and whatever their grievances. 80% support Israel over Hamas. 66% say Israel is merely trying to defend itself and a whopping 67% say a ceasefire should only happen if hostages are released and Hamas is removed from power in Gaza, which is, after all, what the Israeli war cabinet, the two aims of the war cabinet are to get the hostages released and have Hamas removed from power in Gaza. Two-thirds of Americans, a whopping 67%, agree with this basic aim. Only 39% approve of Biden's handling of the war because the human weather vane is equivocating, thereby alienating everyone. The Dearborn folks may be pro-Hamas, but the country as a whole is quite solidly, despite the kids who don't know what the river or the sea are, quite solidly pro-Israel. And this is killing Biden. This contradiction is killing Biden. Because if he gets the people to be excited enough in Dearborn to vote for him, he still may lose Michigan. But even if he wins Michigan, the rest of the country is solidly pro-Israel and is going to begin to say, why are you enthralled to a bunch of children who don't know any history um, and who are as fervent as they are dim? And on the other hand, why are you for an Arab American community in Dearborn that is actively pro-Hamas, not pro-Palestinian, but pro-Hamas cheering after the bloodletting of October 7th? which no civilized person in the world should be in favor of. Every state has the right to defend itself, and ceasefire here is code for saving Hamas's bacon, which really ought not to be done. Further, a Gallup poll in December 2023 showed a record share of the U.S. public thinks the U.S. government is not doing enough to support Israel. And this tracks almost perfectly the 39% approval Biden gets over the war in the earlier poll, the Harvard-Harris poll, the Gallup poll shows only 38% say the United States is doing enough. So solidly two-thirds of Americans support the war aims of the Israeli war cabinet, of Benny Gantz, um, uh, Gabby Ashgabat, and of course Bibi Netanyahu. And so in order to win his state and be a weather vane, uh, Biden risks losing the rest of the country. And this would serve him right. Because foreign policy is something that should care about the American national interests 
and not the interests of a bunch of fanatics in Dearborn, Michigan. It's exactly the opposite way round. The human weather vane and the problem with not having principles is not having principles comes back to bite you. And Biden is about to be bitten in a trap of his own making. By being everything to everyone, he'll end up being nothing to everyone, anyone. And so should it be. If you're everything to everyone, you're nothing to anyone. And this is what's happening. If he manages to win the Dearborn vote, he may still lose Michigan. And even if he wins Michigan, two-thirds of the country think his vacillating over Gaza, entirely dependent on this electoral gambit that is clearly laid out. These are facts, clearly laid out with polling numbers, with logic, with political numbers. This is clearly laid out. And if you let yourself be the hostage of a small fanatical community, you shouldn't be president of the United States. Frankly, you shouldn't be president of anything. So in appealing to the pro-Hamas wing of his party, Biden is losing the nation. Thanks very much. Very happy to get this one off my chest and do another Around the World in 20 Minutes. So much going on in the world, and we do ask you to support us. Please do subscribe to the newsletter, and please do give the $70 we're asking so we can continue our revolution to change American foreign policy back to the realism that has led America from being 13 isolated colonies to the greatest power in the world. An American foreign policy built and maintained for Americans is the revolution we're trying to put in place. And for that, $70, the price of one of my precious espressos, seems a reasonable cost. So please do give. In addition, the last best hope, we had a great call yesterday on the Dove. Great to do the TV show there. And uh, the numbers are moving in our direction nationally, which is very, very exciting. And uh, please do buy the book. It's online today on Amazon everywhere. Let's keep the good vibrations going. Next week, we will go on and talk about whatever's in the news as I get ready for our uh, audio diary of our trip as, as Sarah, John, and I head to New York. Jackie, Bobby, and I head to New York for the salon dinner and then down to Washington to see the Trump campaign, to talk to the speaker's people, to give a speech to senior staffers about the book, The Last Best Hope, um, in the House. It's a very exciting and important week as we try to make this book history, as we try to make this a historical document that moves the needle on foreign policy in the United States. Please come with us for that ride. Have a great day, and tomorrow, on to Robert Altman.